Today we began our series uh, through the book of Philippians, and following Jesus is always worth the risk. Turn to your neighbor this morning and just say to him quick, say to him, it's worth the risk. Tell him this morning, it's worth the risk. Tell him. All right. And so as we begin this series and this study, we have made these available um, for a small cost out in the lobby, but just so you know, that small cost thing, like a bunch of you gave more money than you needed to, and so just grab one. I'm not sure I'm supposed to say that, but I'm going to because I can. Just grab one if you don't have one. Um, this is a, 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 a journal, a, a scripture journal through the book, and so it's this little book right here. And so if you don't have one inside of it, is you have the scripture on this side, and you can take notes on this side. You may not want to take my notes on this side. There's also note pages in the back that you can take notes in, which mine is still blank, um, much like my, my brain. And so, uh, uh, so grab one of those if you don't have one. If you do, um, we hope you follow along. Also online, we put a lot of resources together, and even inside your, your worship guide, there's, there's resources. So we don't want this just to be like a one-time through on a Sunday morning, but we've given you ways that you can continue to walk through the text during the week, memorize some of the verses. Um, we've got screen, what's it called, Matt? Uh, Lock screen. I was going to say screen lock, which would be wrong. Uh, uh, lock screen that you can put on the front of your phone to help you memorize the verses so you can go and download that at nc.chapel.com. And so um, we just want to help as we go through this to, to take a journey through the book of Philippians together. And so <clears throat> I don't know about you, um, but, but I like to take risk with my life. Um, that may surprise you or not surprise you, but I don't, I don't necessarily mind risk in my life. And so um, a few Sundays ago, we uh, didn't have services, um, if you remember that far back. And so we didn't have services a few weeks ago, and there was a whole bunch of snow. And so I said to my daughters on Sunday afternoon, I said, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm making a, a challenge, a dare to everyone. I dare you to get in your swimsuit and to just do a lap in the backyard. And so um, I had a taker, a couple takers. And the deal was, is that whatever, if they did it, I would do whatever they told me to do in the snow. And so they did it. And uh, it involved uh, very cold feet and sit-ups in the snow in my swimsuit. I have girls, my swim trunks, that's what boys wear. And so... uh, and so um, I don't mind taking risks. Now, side note, as a da- dad of daughters, I just want them to know that I am like a little bit off <laughs> so that the reality of like me in my underwear with a shotgun the first time a boy comes over is a, like a possibility. That's what, I, that's what I'm going for. And so, um, so, so risk is this thing, right, that... that that is, is, it's an actual reality around us, whether we like it or not. And I'm sure there's people in the room that they don't mind taking risks. They kind of enjoy like the, that that comes. And there's others who hate. Anybody hate risk? Just raise your hand. Do you hate risk? Okay. And so you're averse to risk. Well, good news and bad news for all of us. Risk is a part of life. And maybe more simply, if you're going to follow Jesus, risk is inevitable. Because in order to obey him, you will take risks. So this morning, as we think about this book, I believe this is one of the key points of the book of Philippians. One, we see Paul, he is a man at great risk to his own life 
in order to see the gospel move forward. And he commends the brothers and sisters in Philippi to continue to take risk for the name of Jesus. So again, I would contend to you that Paul is commending and encouraging the Philippians to take risk for their king, Jesus. So a risk defined. A risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. Say it again, a risk. A risk is an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. So Paul will say it like this, kind of in a profound way in Philippians 1.21. He will say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, The book of Philippians, kind of a little introductory of the book and where we were and what was going on in Philippi at that time. So Paul wrote the book of Philippi. We see that at the very beginning of the book. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul wrote the book, Timothy with him. Um, so, So Paul writes the book around 60 AD. It's written while he was in prison, facing possible execution. Now, one of the things we know about Paul is that Prison was a fairly normal thing for him. Even in Philippi, when he first went there, he went to jail. He was in pain. He was abandoned by many, yet still found joy. And joy is a critical, like, key theme of the book, that despite our suffering, despite the risk, despite our situation, that there is a joy that can be found in Jesus. And so he wrote this while he was in prison. We know this about the church in Philippi, that there was no believers, as far as we know, in Philippi. And Paul rolled into town on his missionary journey. As he rolled into town in Acts 16, 11 through 40, we see the foundations of the church as it's formed. And at the beginning of his time there, he preaches and he, he leads a lady named Lydia to Christ. And Lydia and her whole household, they come to faith in Jesus. And then, and then just a little bit Later, there's this demon-possessed slave girl, and people profited off of her for all of her work, and she has a demon cast out of her. She comes to faith, we believe, and they do not like it, the men who profited off of her. And so Paul literally got the snot beat out of him. I mean, he got, that's, what we, that's when we say he got beat up bad. That's what, where I grew up, that's what we say. He got beat up bad got thrown into prison. But the problem with Paul and wherever he found himself is he, prison was just an opportunity for a new audience, right? There's new guards coming in day and night. And so Paul just had a rotating group of people to preach the gospel to. And so there we see the Philippian jailer come to Christ. And so what we have is we have a woman, slave girl, and a Gentile come to faith, which is the foundation of the church Philippi. Now, there's kind of commonly known in the Jewish world at that time, a Jewish man would wake up in the morning and he would thank God for three things. He would say, thank you, God, that I am not a woman. Thank you, God, that I am not a slave. And thank you, God, that I am not a Gentile. The foundation of the church in Philippi was a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. The foundation of the church in Philippi was massively diverse in Jesus, right? He upsets the apple cart of society because he is inviting all peoples to himself. So the context of kind of Philippi, where it was at that time, city, the city was built on the Via Ignatia. Turn to your neighbor and just say Via Ignatia. 
Don't you feel smart when you say these Greek words? It just makes you feel important. I, I like to. That's why I do sometimes. Um, and so it was, uh, the Via Ignatia was connected, it connected east to west, and so it was a road that connected Europe to Asia. It was a trading city. There was gold mines outside the city. There was no predominant culture, but a mesh of many cultures. It was a transient people moving to and fro. It was a Roman city in greater Macedonia. Being a Roman city, there were boundaries around religion. And so the boundaries were this. All gods are the same. You can worship whatever God you want to, but just don't say there is one God and submit yourself to that one God. But you should submit yourself only and only solely to the emperor. Now, I don't know if you feel that, but that kind of feels a little modern, doesn't it? You can worship whoever you want, but just don't claim exclusivity. Now, the problem of that is, the book of Philippians, Paul is going to maintain extreme exclusivity as he did through his entire ministry. That there is no other name in heaven by which men must be saved. That the, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And there is exclusivity of salvation only through him. So it was a, again, these were kind of the rules around religion in the city. This is why Paul will end up in jail. And again, the the problems in Philippi, there was racial strife, economical oppression, spiritual confusion, and again, no Christians, but Paul, again, planted a church there. And this letter is written to that church that he planted. So the big idea of the book The big idea of the book is there is a radical calling to the people of Philippi to keep setting their eyes on Jesus and living for Jesus at all costs because simply he is worth the risk and all joy in life is found in him. And this is true for them and it's true for us. As humans, from all, for all time and eternity, we have been people here on earth. We are people seeking joy. We are seeking, anybody want joy? Raise your hand if you want some joy in your life. Sad people that didn't raise their hand. And so uh, right, we, we all want joy, right? We, we all want joy. And all around us, I would guess that some of you may watch the Super Bowl or some of you may just talk and have it on tonight. But whichever way, whatever you do, every commercial that will come up is going to give us some sort of promise that, that if you get this car this product, this one thing, your joy will be fulfilled. The reality is, is that is not, not true. But we are constantly seeking joy. And Paul will say that joy is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you will allow me just a moment of just kind of today, When you sit in rooms like we did yesterday, it is crystal clear that there is only one thing that matters, and that is Jesus and Jesus alone. There is not one possession in life that can bring joy, but Jesus can bring joy through grief. He can bring hope through suffering. Jesus brings joy, nothing else. 
So, key verses in the book of Philippians. Philippians 1.21, I already quoted, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Paul is kind of saying in this verse that for me, that if, I, if I live, I'm gonna keep on living for Christ and if I die, praise God, I get to be with Jesus and I get to get out of this. So I'm gonna keep on going, I'm gonna keep living for him. Philippians 1.27, just after, he says, and it's kind of more of an uh, extended way of saying the same thing, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Right? To live is Christ, that in our lives, that, if, that, that, that he might find them, that God might find us living for our Lord at all times. So let's turn this morning to Philippians 1, 1 through 11, and we're going to kind of motor through this introduction and greeting, greeting and introduction that Paul has to the church in Philippi. So if you will, stand with me this morning in reverence and honor of God's word, Philippians 1, 1 through 11 reads, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, would you, Lord, reveal yourself increasingly to us through your word today. Lord, teach us from this text and help us, Lord, to not only hear your word, but to be doers of that which you're saying to us. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we we commit ourselves to you and the teaching of your word today. And we we do so in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at this passage, um, what we see is kind of the key theme of the beginning, the introduction and the kind of the the greeting and the introduction of Paul in this letter is this partnership in the gospel. Now, when we we think about these letters that Paul wrote, um, these are letters that, that, right, they didn't have a bunch of, they didn't have a bunch of copies like out in the lobby. There was one letter. And in this letter, kind of when it first came to town, it would have come to houses and homes. And I'm sure that someone said, come over tonight. We have a letter. Paul's written a letter, and he's going to tell us some things. And they were kind of anxious about what they were going to receive and what they were going to hear. Now, one of the interesting things about Paul's letters is they're not all positive, right? Paul wasn't like pastor positivity. He said to the Galatians, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you have turned to another gospel? Not a letter you want to get, right? Like, that's not what you want to hear. It's like, hey, buddy, you've totally missed it. 
you're living your life completely off from the teachings of Scripture. So Paul doesn't just have this track record of just being like happy-go-lucky, everybody's good and dandy. Dandy is a word that they use in the South, I think. I don't know why I said it. But in this letter, he is affirming. And he does applaud them. And he says, this is the way in which you're going. This is a very encouraging letter that they received. And I'm sure their hearts would have been warmed as they heard this greeting from their friend, their loved one, who they had struggled arm and arm together with for the sake of the gospel. And this greeting, this introduction of encouragement that he gave them. But we see that this clear relationship of Paul and the people in Philippi, the church in Philippi, is they were partners in the gospel work. And I believe this, that, that, that partnership in the gospel for them was worth the risk. So, first thing that we see in this text, kind of partnership in three ways. First we see is partnership with the church. So partnership with the church, it reads, Paul and Timothy, bondservants, slaves, servants of Jesus Christ. And so this bondservant, this slave, it's, that I, it's this kind of Paul's beginning statement of saying that I am not my own man. I do not do what I want to do, but my heart is linked to the heart of Jesus Christ, and I do his bidding, I do his will, because I am his slave. Remember the doctor, Dr. Bill Bright, who um, founded Crew, or formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ, he said, when I die, simply put slave of Jesus Christ on my tombstone and throw me in a ditch, because my life doesn't matter, only Jesus does. Slave, right? Servant of Jesus that he calls a shot. So Paul and Timothy, slaves, bondservants. And I believe he was writing that even in an assumption that there was this understanding that we are under the lordship and under the, the care of our savior, Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. And so again, we know that all the saints, this was a diverse group of people, right? Women, slave, Gentile, mixed group of people that had gathered together and many, many more over the years. And it says to, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And so we also see that there had been an established church in Philippi because there was overseers and deacons. There were, there were those that were given, kind of called out and given authority and, and given the ability to lead and together move this church, this gospel forward in Philippi. They were partnering, there was leadership, there were structures that the Bible, that Jesus clearly set in place. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So his greeting, it says, a, a typical greeting at that time would have been, peace to you who I write to, but he said grace and peace. And I believe that grace precedes peace. Without grace, you will never have peace. And I believe Paul wrote that intentionally, that grace precedes peace. So he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there was this partnership with the church. There was this value in this larger organization, this movement of the gospel that was happening in Philippi. And there were those who were clearly called out in leadership and then all the saints. And this was kind of a, a letter that's written to, to everyone as co-laborers in this greater work with some that had been set apart for a specific task, just as here with us. So there's a statement in this beginning that we are engaged in the greatest work in the world together. 
we, missionaries, all the saints, overseers and deacons, we are all called to this great work of gospel ministry. So then the second thing that he says in kind of three through five, that there's not only partnership with the church, but a partnership in gospel work. So he says, I thank my God in all remembrances of you. Literally, this kind of, I, I smile when I think about you. There's a connectedness and a warmness in my heart toward you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So in this, there's this always in every prayer of mine with joy that you warm my heart because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There had been a consistency in the people in Philippi that from the day they began to where he found them, what he'd heard of them, where they were, that they hadn't drifted from the mission. There's a thing called mission drift. It's when you kind of set your eyes towards something, but somehow you just turn it slightly and you end up somewhere else you didn't intend to be. Anybody set a New Year's resolution? Anybody? Anybody already failed that New Year's resolution? That's kind of the idea of mission drift. Like you say, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden you end up over here. What Paul was saying to them is, you set out to do this. And you're still doing it. You haven't drifted. You haven't changed. You haven't shifted. Your eyes still are on Jesus. Isn't it funny, though, the things that can drift our attention? personal wants, our agendas, our likes, our dislikes. They can begin to move us and say that, yeah, Jesus is everything, but I think, I wish, I want. But what they said was, you know what? This gospel work is simply not, not about us. This gospel work is about others. This, this work of the church is about those who don't know. This, this work of the church is about us together taking risk for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, alone. The church in Philippi hadn't lost sight of their mission. And most importantly, they hadn't lost sight of their Savior. So third and last in this text, what we see is there was a partnership in personal growth. So a partnership with the church, a partnership in gospel work, and a partnership in personal growth. And this is really the bulk of what Paul is kind of saying to them in this greeting. He, said, he says, as it continues, verse 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, kind of theologically speaking, there's kind of three things that happen in salvation. We call it, we call it justification, sanctification, and glorification. So simple ways of saying this is, justification, I have been saved. If you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are set right with God, you have no record against you, and that you are in right standing before God. Right? That is a fact and it's true, you are justified in Jesus Christ. But there's this other reality, and the other reality is our sanctification. And sanctification is this thing about this world, is that we do sin, and we do have struggle, and we aren't quite who we want to be yet. Anybody there? Anybody? Man, a lot of people are pretty awesome, I guess. Uh, so uh, we're not there yet. But he, we are increasingly like being conformed into the image of our Savior. And then one day, one day when we die, and when we see Jesus face to face, 
we will be glorified. This body of flesh, this body of sin will be gone. And we will stand in front of our Savior, Jesus Christ, glorified. All things right, all things new with him. And so what he's saying is, in this text, is until the completion, he said that, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So he's saying, I'm confident of this, that he who has justified you is sanctifying you, and one day he will glorify you. This is the reality of my buddy Mike, right? That God justified him years ago that we observed God doing work in and through him. And today, he is glorified. He is right and he is free with Jesus. Because the day of Jesus Christ is at hand. It's reality in his life. So then he says, Paul continues, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So he says, so we're, we're all partakers of grace. We're standing firm together. I long for you. I love you. We're deeply connected, committed through Jesus. And what he's speaking of in this is, is something that is much more profound than simple community. Now, some of you tonight, you will watch the Super Bowl, like we'll, we'll, you'll get together and you'll well, watch it or play games while others watch it or whatever it is that you do, and you will experience community, and all of us love community, but this scripture in the Bible is not speaking of some sort of like quaint, game-playing, football-watching community. It really, community is not a fair word in our English language to even compare what this text is speaking of. A missiologist, Alan Hirsch, he said it like this, that really the Bible speaks of something called communitas. And communitas is something that is much deeper. It is a group of people that have taken risk together. And in this risk, they have forged a devotion and, and a love for one another and a bond. And in that bond, they have grown in deep love and affection, willing to give their own lives for each other. And this is the kind of community that truly is the intention of Jesus for us, his church, to have. To be partakers of grace, whether in imprisonment or defense of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn with you for all the affection of Christ Jesus. See, Paul and the Philippian church they had been forged together in a common battle and struggle for the movement of the gospel, for the forward progress of the faith. See, they had a partnership in this gospel work. They had a partnership with the church and they had a partnership in personal growth because his prayer for them and kind of key text for the week is nine and 10, that your love, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So Paul, what he's saying is when I hit my knees for you, when I ask God on your behalf in the most intimate moments of intimate moments, this is what I ask him. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. That your love would increase for Jesus. That your love for one another would increase. That you'd do it with your intellect. That you would discern 
so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That you and your life, my prayer is that you would go high with moral character and righteousness and the way you act and the way you treat one another. That you would refuse to go low. You would, you would refuse to take the route of sin but you would go high and take the route of righteousness with your life. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, that you would do it well so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He concludes this kind of introduction saying, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with all the righteousness that Jesus would impart to you so that you might glorify God with your life. I believe that in our faith, the scripture has a clear calling and that clear calling is for us in our faith to grow up. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had people say that to me a few times in my life. Ryan, you need to grow up. Now, I refuse to in many regards, because I do believe that life is and should be fun. And those of you who don't like to have fun, you need to get a life. I don't know. Like, uh, you can have fun. You go do some sit-ups in the snow. Like, enjoy life, right? And so, so here's the thing. Like, I do believe that. But, but I believe that there's this, there's this clear delineation, this, this commitment that every person in Christ must make. And that is, am I committed to growing up in my faith? And I think Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians. He says, we all now with unveiled faces, beholding him, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. I believe that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we grow up in our faith, that we look increasingly, we live increasingly, like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you committed in your life to grow up, to look like, to live like the one who loved you and gave himself for you? Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. In this life I live in the flesh. I will live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is no longer my own. My life is the Lord Jesus's. I am his bondservant. I am a slave. And my goal is to look like him and to live like him in word and deed. It's my life. See, the aim of our lives to grow up, there's this desperate dependency, not only that we have on Jesus, but each other. We need each other. This thing is done with one another. It takes action on our part, but it also takes communitas with others in our lives. And we must stop waiting for others to make the first move. And we must make the first move in our lives in obedience to Jesus. I believe there's a lot of things that we could apply from this, but maybe three for you today to finish our time. Clearly from this text, we can apply this, that we make a commitment with our lives first, saying, I will value the church. That I will value the church. Paul in this letter clearly shows that he valued the church 
and Philippi. He did not see it as some kind of offshoot, small, like kind of taekwondo, kind of like just this kind of subcontracted part of my life where I just stop and go and learn something for this facet of my life. He saw it as the primary agency that God has employed to bring the good news of the gospel to the world. And so I believe that we live in a day where, where we don't. We do not value her, his church, as highly as we ought. The commitment today from this text of just saying, I will value the church. I will value all saints. I will value deacons and overseers. I will value the church and I will treat her well. Second is I will participate in gospel work. I will participate in gospel work that I won't stay hands off, but I will grow in what it means to be a participant in the work of the gospel with my life. And then the third is I will personally grow. I commit my life to not wait, to not be satisfied where I am, but engage in a perpetual journey until I see Jesus face to face to increasingly become like him, to look like him and to live like him. The Old Testament, one of my favorite kind of Old Testament characters is Esther. Esther um, was kind of raised by Mordecai. She was beautiful, and she becomes Queen Esther. She's taken, and she becomes Queen Esther, and there's this really bad guy in the book. His name's Haman. Don't ever, if you know anybody named Haman, stay away from him. Like, really bad guy. He was kind of one of the first guys to read about, like one of the many in history that has said, let's just let all the Jews die. And he was for it and he was going to do it. Mordecai caught word of this and he sent to Esther and he said, hey, you have to go to the king and tell him what Haman is going to do. This is really dangerous for Esther because if Esther were to do this, she risked her own life because you just don't go in front of the king and tell him some things. And so if she went in front of the king and he raised his scepter, she was good. If not, she was dead. So she called out to everyone and said, pray and fast for days. I'm going to go before the king. I'm going to tell him what's happening and see if he'll save the people. And her statement was this, if I perish, I perish. The Christian faith is full of men and women who've taken great risk for the sake of their God and King. And I believe that's the lineage which surrounds us here today. And might we be people who believe that this gospel work, that this faith of ours is worth the risk We might be like Esther, who simply say, if I perish, I perish. At all costs, I will follow my king. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we believe it is true. And Lord, we want to be people who increasingly become like you, who value what you value and love what you love. 
Jesus, help us to value your church. Lord, help us. Help us to participate in this great gospel work, each and every one of us. Jesus, and help us to grow up increasingly in your image. Lord, for the person in the room that doesn't know you, oh, Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would help whatever man, woman, or child it is that doesn't know you to repent of their sins today, their rebellion against you, Jesus. That today you would help them to turn in faith and place their confidence in you, Jesus, and the work that you did for them on the cross that you move them from death into life, darkness into light, or give them the strength today to repent, turn in faith, and be made new. And for those who have believed, Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep moving forward, to not drift from that which you've called us to and help us to be men women and children who take great risk for you and your kingdom that we each would be your bond servants Jesus help us to respond to whatever you've said to each of us today as we sing this song whether it's for salvation or committing these things that you've said Lord help us to respond because you are worthy of response Father, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name.